But having spent £407 billion or more to support lives and livelihoods throughout the pandemic, from furlough to vaccines, it would be wrong for me to say that we can pay for this recovery without taking the difficult but responsible decisions about how we finance it. As a permanent additional investment in health and social care, it would be irresponsible to meet the costs from higher borrowing and higher debt. From next April, we will create a new UK-wide 1.25% health and social care levy on earned income hypothecated in law to health and social care, with dividend rates increasing by the same amount. This will raise almost £36 billion over the next three years. COVID-19 saw the government spend vast amounts of money, from the furlough scheme, the test and trace programme, to PPE and the vaccine rollout. On top of this, our nation went into a lockdown, output stalled and we saw a 9.7 percentage drop in our GDP. This led to significant government borrowing, the highest borrowing our country has done in peacetime alone. And with that comes significantly high debt. Understandably, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor of the Exchequer, has repeatedly stressed his desire to get government finances back on track. Mr. Chancellor of the Exchequer. It's going to take this country and the whole world a long time to recover from this extraordinary economic situation. So how? Well, alongside some other policies, over the last year, the government has committed to raising national insurance, freezing income tax thresholds, and freezing the student loan repayment threshold. These three policies, which we will explain during this episode, have hit low-earning young people the hardest. Young generations are being forced to shoulder the cost of social care reform and COVID-19 spending. So what if taxes didn't unfairly target the young? What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation. When the current political party came into power, We, the general public, were presented with a manifesto promise to not have taxes raised. Rishi Sunak even tweeted out the following. We're not going to raise the rates of income tax, national insurance or VAT. Nobody's take-home pay will be less than it is now. He even said in Parliament. This government is not going to raise the rates of income tax, national insurance or VAT. (laughs) Okay, wait, let's clarify. Yes, we've not had a raise in taxes, but unfortunately what we've been presented with instead is increased tax by stealth. And by this, we mean a lot of policies which haven't explicitly raised taxes, but have had the consequence of increasing them. Like I said before, we've had the freezing of income tax thresholds, an increase in national insurance contributions, and the freezing of the student loan repayment threshold. So let's break down these three policies for you and explain how. For this, I'm joined by IF researcher John Hobby to talk us through the policies and look at their consequences on the young. 
So in order to break everything down for our listeners, it is first important that we explain what fiscal drag is. So what specifically is it? Um, So fiscal drag can mean a couple of different things in different contexts. Um, In this context, the way that we use fiscal drag is to describe a phenomenon where failing to adjust tax rates in times of high inflation pulls people into higher tax rates and means that they pay much higher rates of tax uh, on their income. So fiscal drag is in effect, um, it's a tax raised by self. Uh, So imagine you're earning 30,000 and in the current UK tax system, that means that you pay um, you get 10,000 of that tax free and you pay tax on the other 20,000. So you only pay tax on two thirds of your income. Uh, now imagine that there's a big, you know, sort of a big bout of inflation and prices go up by one third. So that means that, you know, sort of in order for you to enjoy the same living standards, your wages will also have to go up by one third. Uh, so your wages will go up to 40,000. Um, and now imagine, you know, sort of the, the, the uh, tax free allowance of 10,000 doesn't change at all. That now means that you're paying tax on 30,000 of your income. So you're now paying tax on three quarters of your income rather than two thirds, which you were before the bout of inflation. So yeah, this just kind of shows that when tax brackets stay fixed in times of high inflation, everybody ends up paying a greater proportion of their income in taxes. Uh, Fiscal drag is most felt when um, tax brackets are frozen in times of high inflation. There are effectively three policies that your report or our report looks into to improve government finances. The first one is the government's decision to freeze income tax brackets until 2026. Can you sort of explain in simple terms for our listeners what that actually means? Like, I think it's almost kind of sneaky in a way, because, you know, sort of saying that you're freezing tax brackets almost kind of sounds, you know, sort of like taxes aren't being raised, right? The current income tax brackets are you get £10,000 more or less uh, tax free you then pay 20% on any income between 10,000 and about 50,000. Then any income yeah. over 50, you... Is 40. is 40. And then there's a higher rate over 100. So the second policy is the 1.25 percentage increase in national insurance contributions. Could you maybe explain to our listeners what that means? Yeah, of course. So um, on top of the uh, freezing of the national insurance contribution thresholds, um, the government have also announced a, a 1.25 percentage point increase Uh, to national insurance contributions for both employees and employers. This is going to have an effect on young people uh, and low earners um, predominantly. Uh, And that's because the national insurance um, scheme is essentially a regressive tax system. So any income earned between about 10,000 and 50,000 is taxed currently at 12%, soon to be 13.25%. But any income over 50,000 is only taxed at 2%, soon to be 3.25%. And also, it's currently not paid by those over state pension age. Um, so this means, yes, sort of overall, these two reforms mean that those lower earners will be dragged into higher thresholds due to, um, due to fiscal drag. Uh, and, and young people who are more likely to be low earners um, sort of will feel that effect especially. So essentially, mm-hmm. whilst it is a universal policy, like you said, it impacts those who earn the least. Um, and those people do end up being young. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that's fair. And also the fact that sort of, you know, like those over the state pension age who continue working um, sort of essentially get a, a 12% tax break, um, you know, sort of over, over younger people, um, sort of which isn't being addressed by, uh, by the current 1.25% increase or the health and social care levy. So sort of that's, that's a big tax break on older generations that sort of if would like to see um, addressed. 
finally moving on to a policy that really is specifically targeted towards young people it's the government's decision to freeze the student loan repayment threshold now for those who don't know the repayment threshold is the salary at which those who took out a student loan would have to start repaying it back to the government so why is it bad to freeze this threshold so it's a very similar kind of argument to you know sort of how it works with the um with the income tax th threshold right so, so the current threshold is at £27,295. Uh, so any income over £27,000, um, you know, you pay 9% of your, of, of your income over that threshold uh, in student loan payments. So essentially the fact that that has been frozen for the next tax year and potentially further into the future um, means that sort of as inflation pulls people's nominal incomes up, more of their income will fall into this sort of the student loan uh, taxable set of boundary and people will lose a greater portion of their income to student loans. And I think it also has to be said that students have to repay this loan over a set period of time and that was 30 years but it's being extended now to 40 years so essentially young people are going to be paying this money back until a few years and before their retirement really. Absolutely and the situation is going to be even worse for you know sort of the upcoming cohort of students starting starting next year. Because all of these changes they hit the low earning young people the hardest and significantly decrease their take home pay their disposable income and then their ability to save for pensions and housing and it's even worse because as you said inflation has meant that the prices of everyday products are, and necessities are rising but if mm. your take home pay is decreasing as a result of all these policies then it's not great is it Exactly. So if you look at all three of these policies um, in, in combination, you know, sort of this affects young people the worst because sort of they're the only group of people, young people, especially young graduates, are going to be the only people who feel the combined effects of, you know, sort of fiscal drag in all three of these forms of taxation, right? So um, people over the state pension age currently are exempt from national insurance contributions. Yes, sort of when the health and social care levy kicks in, they'll be paying 1.25%. Uh, and, you know, often people over the age of 65 don't have student loans, so they'll only feel fiscal drag uh, on their income tax. Um, all working age people will feel fiscal drag in both their sort of the income tax that they pay and in their national insurance contributions. Um, however, sort of if you look at the income distributions sort of by age, younger people are much more likely to be, you know, sort of like lower lower or middle earners. Uh, so young people are more likely to feel uh, the effects of fiscal drag more acutely in uh, national insurance contributions and uh, and in income tax. Uh, and then finally, obviously, you know, sort of student loan, the student loan repayment threshold freeze um, will only really cut into the incomes of graduates who started their degree after 2012. Um, you know, so this is like really sort of really going to uh, be felt by those under 30. Um, and also sort of combined with that student loan debt is, is inflation protected using RPI, which is a sort of old discredited measure of inflation. Um, so sort of as student loan repayments are going to be eating up a greater proportion of people's, uh, you know, of people's take home pay, they're also going to see their debt levels uh, massively increase. Right. So um, I don't know, like young, young people are really will really feel the effects of, of all three of these um, of these tax freezes. And and that means that they'll see the largest um, decrease to their disposable income. Um, in our paper, uh, we calculate that the combined effects of these policies will cause a young graduate who is earning 30,000 in, in 2021 uh, to see their after-tax income decrease by 4% by 2026. Um, and as you said, sort of at the same time, uh, inflation and the cost of living crisis will mean that um, the cost of their necessary spending will go up massively as well. 
and, and another important point to kind of make overall is the fact that uh, wealth is comparatively undertaxed um, in comparison to sort of earned income uh, in the UK. Um, and that sort of has a further intergenerational element because uh, so if you look at the wealth distribution in the UK, uh, it's sort of sharply divided among age lines with older generations uh, often having much more wealth than, than younger people. So sort of the, the undertaxation of wealth also means that, you know, sort of older generations are getting something of a tax, of a tax break. Uh, while younger people are being sort of forced to carry the, the tax burden for clearing the NHS backlog and uh, reforming social care. Um, so yeah, essentially sort of this increased income tax burden on young people is why we've, we've, sort of, we've dubbed them the, the pack horse generation. As John has highlighted, fiscal drag will force young people to pay a large proportion of their real income on all three of the tax changes. This makes the UK tax system less progressive. It raises average tax rates by a greater magnitude for young people and lower earners, rather than high earners and those living over the state pension age. Combining all these hidden changes together, it appears the government is targeting the earned income of the young. We believe this to be intergenerationally unfair when they should in fact be sharing the pain across the generations and therefore targeting the unearned income of the old. But what do young people think? I spoke to Lauren and Alana to find out. How do you feel about the fact that the taxation of stealth is unfairly falling on young people? I think it's completely atrocious that as we come out of the pandemic, it's young people that have been unfairly burdened by a recovery for a crisis that was caused by, in order to support older generations. However, I'm not surprised. The government have like uh, slipped this through while um, the focus was on other news. Um, and it's really meant that, um, as I'm sure you're gonna outline in this program, that it's gonna have a hugely detrimental effect on young people's uh, incomes and living standards. And it means that lower earners are gonna be paying more tax, Obviously, that will affect everybody, even higher earners will be paying more tax. However, it is going to more negatively affect lower income workers. Um, also, there is this um, student kind of self-tax, as people are calling it as well, which means that it's just another burden for young people to carry at the moment because they are basically freezing the threshold on that as well and even reducing it for people who start um, their degrees in 2023. So it's uh, very unjustified, especially considering that the very people who are voting this kind of thing in are the very people who had free university education and now they are making it a greater burden on younger people. So I'm interested, Lauren, how has the cost of living crisis affected you? So I'm relatively protected because I'm on a student loan um, and my outgoings are relatively low. Uh, because I'm living student lives, but because of the fact that my outgoings are quite low, a large proportion of my outgoings is spent on food. Um, as a single person, being able to shop at somewhere like Lidl or a budget supermarket, well, it's not massively affected me in the way that it's affected other people. I have certainly noticed the price of food um, increasing in terms of a proportion of my income. Yeah, I mean, it to me, I think it is obviously affecting a lot of young people in many different ways. And some people are, you know, financially are going to have it worse off than me. But I think for me, it's the anxiety and the lack of kind of security that a lot of people, myself included, are feeling because I am, you know, I have got a decent job, but I'm still not earning like a lot of salary, you know, compared to older generations and things like that. 
are already you know living stretched on their incomes for these tiny tiny houses and it's just you know it's just getting it's just it's not one thing one thing is not causing the issue like the problem is is it's all of the different things they've done in combination all at the same time it's just everything is hitting us at the same time as well that there's been quite a lot of demonization of, of young people um in, in the media it's people who just take and aren't giving back and um as we've seen in terms of like huge amounts of youth volunteering in the pandemic and and things like that is actually young people are really massive contributors to our society but also uh, they're going to be the the next generation of people in and in, in, in the jobs and running society. So if you're not building up their capacity, then you're setting up the future to fail. Um, and I guess it, it seems to be working on a premise that um, basically every young person is able to live with their parents forever, which just isn't the case. You know, some people move out at 16, um, then they're working on a lower minimum age, lower minimum wage, lower benefits. Um, and actually this model of people just being able to live indefinitely with their parents is a, only really works for a very privileged few. And even for them, you're robbing them of their independence, which even if you're wealthy, is a really sort of fundamental part of living a good life. Do you have any worries with regards to having disposable income and saving in the future for pensions? I did a council survey like last week. They asked like, can you afford to pay into your pension? And it was a yes or no question. It wasn't an actual question of what you're paying in and will it actually be enough? It was, can you afford to pay into your pension? And I'm on the auto-enrolment scheme. Uh, I know some of my friends who are on minimum wage, you know, who have young children, cannot afford to be on the auto-enrolment scheme because they need every single penny that they have. I can pay into my auto-enrolment scheme um, at the moment. But even in doing so, the reality is, is afford to pay into your pension or can you afford like the reality is it's very misleading because the truth is I'm currently paying about a thousand pounds a year into my pension. And in 50 years, that's 50,000 pounds. So that's my working life. I have 50,000 pounds in my pension pot in retirement. And when you count inflation over that time, that money is not going to be worth the £50,000 is today. Like you said, 50 grand sounds like a lot of money, but with inflation, it's really going to devalue. But even just the fact that if you're living off that money, it's like a £50,000 in your bank account. If you if that's your income, it suddenly isn't money. So I'm, I am very worried about saving for pensions. I'm not sure how really uh, accessible that's going to be for basically everyone in my generation, almost regardless of their income bracket. But one of the big things that I'm worried about is um, I moved to London for university and I'm really enjoying the independence that this has brought me. But um, as a student currently myself, um, I'm very well aware that as I come out of uni, I'm going to be saddled with debt as well as trying to rent a house in increasingly rising um, rental market. And so it makes uh, this independence seem relatively infeasible for me. And, and that's not just the case for those who living in London. You know, studies have shown that uh, the uh, number of young people living with their parents has massively increased um, in recent years. And that actually this has got worse uh, since the pandemic. Do you think young people are aware, like you, you're very well versed on all of this, but do you think that young people are aware of issues such as tax, national insurance, inflation? Are, is that something they're aware of? Well, I think what young people are aware of is they're aware that there's a lot they don't know. If you look at the um, uh, the recent research into what young people want, for example, I was involved on a uh, project looking at uh, 
young people's employment prospects as a result um, of the pandemic. And one of the biggest things that young people said they wanted to improve their prospects was education on finance, on taxes, on inflation, because they were aware of what a huge impact it was going to have on their life, but actually that they were totally unprepared to deal with it. So I think there's two things there, like, yeah, there's definitely a knowledge gap and you're seeing you're seeing this like really start to hit um, when things like inflation go up and young people aren't quite aware of why and how and what's going on. But also there's the awareness of the knowledge gap that maybe people don't really give them credit for. Do you think that the government does take into account the financial situation of the young? So absolutely not. Um, you can see this across a whole range of policies. So, you know, you can see this um, in the changes to university funding, which is what we're here talking about today. But you also see this in the fact that young people get paid a lower rate of uh, universal credit. Um, they have a lower minimum wage and that um, normally when they're on housing benefit, they're on the lowest housing benefit. And so uh, the, from all sorts of different ways, like the government isn't taking young people into account. Young people are becoming more financially precarious as they get older, which means the state, as they move out of home, the state is not coming in and supporting them. And so if the government was considering young people's financial position, then we wouldn't have this huge spike in financial precarity as people start to leave the nest. And just quickly in terms of impact, this is absolutely catastrophic. I mean, suicide is already the biggest killer of under 35s and mental health is getting far worse. A lot, I'm sure a lot of people will say there's clear links between poverty, financial precarity and mental health. So not just from a finance perspective, but also from a health perspective, all of these recent changes and the policies towards young people that the government are acting uh, are completely, completely damaging on a whole range of issues that the government in theory says they support. What do you think is the solution? I don't think there's a one size fits all policy, but what would you like to see done? This is one of the worst questions because I, I just think that the solution is beyond me. You know, I'm one person. We have a government of, of people, you know, who are, who are educated in economics and all that stuff and how it works. They know where the money is. Um, it's a difficult question to answer because I don't necessarily have the solutions. I can just see a problem that I think is being ignored. I think the government are pushing back. They think we will, we will look at short-term solutions that resolve an issue for the time being. It might resolve um, financial issues for pensioners as of today. But actually, by doing that, they are pushing back a problem for when we reach retirement age. And actually, by you know, giving out money now, there's even less available um, in you know, 50 years or whatever. I think there's a huge inequality, especially with housing. Like I said, just having a house is ridiculous the amount of like um how beneficial it is just to have one like the amount that a homeowner will benefit versus a renter is astronomical i think it's really it's unfair but like i said i don't have a solution i think there is money in the country that could resolve it i don't necessarily think that i think it is a political issue whether or not they will choose to tap into that money but i don't have a solution because every single thing has an implication to something else and i'm not educated enough in that field to kind of make up decision on that. So I think what we really need is we need policies to tackle poverty and we need policies to tackle mental health. Otherwise, the situation is just going to go from bad to catastrophically worse. Young people are being unfairly targeted for COVID-19 spending and the government's promises to reduce NHS waiting lists and address social care. Today's young workers are saddled with higher tax rates to cover the cost of an increasingly wealthy older generation. It is mostly older homeowners that are protected in the new tax reforms. The young today are truly the pack horse generation. 
Interestingly, it is worth pointing out that the new tax model is actually unsustainable. Getting working age young people to pay for the old doesn't really work due to the ageing population of the UK. The growth in the older generation means that there are more pensioners, and more pensioners means that more money is required for social care. But over time, there won't be enough young working age population to fund it. I spoke again to John to discuss what he thinks are the solutions. So we, we as an organisation lay out a few uh, different policy solutions uh, in the report, uh, the first of which and the most urgent being uh, immediately unfreezing all of the tax brackets that we've gone through, uh, so that being income tax, national insurance contributions and the student loan repayment threshold uh, because of the sort of high probability of high inflation uh, persisting into the medium or long term. Uh, that is going to have a serious impact on the earnings of, sort of everyone across the UK. Uh, but that's going to be especially felt by young people uh, and low earners. The second being sort of a more general move towards uh, greater taxation of, of wealth, uh, sort of which takes the sort of the tax pressure away from um, from from earned income. Uh, and our sort of third, more kind of root and branch policy suggestion would be sort of to massively reform the student loan system. Um, because essentially, yes, if we as an organisation believe uh, believe in education as uh, as a public good, and don't think that you know sort of graduates should be um, should be paying thirty or now even forty years of tax um, for, for for their education. Underpinning all of these recommendations is the urgent need for policymakers to assess prospective policies for their impact on younger and future generations using intergenerational impact assessments head over to www.if.org.uk to read IF's excellent report, Pack Horse Generation, The New Tax Burdens Forced Onto Young People by Inflation, to find out more about the issue. Fighting for equality amongst current and future generations is something that we should all strive towards and is central to the work of IF. If any of the topics in discussion in this month's podcast have caught your attention, then head over to our website, where IF have conducted incredible research on the topic. Or follow the Intergenerational Foundation on Twitter, Facebook, and even Instagram. What if? What if? What if? What if? A monthly podcast series in partnership with IF, the Intergenerational Foundation.